Thank you. Thank you very much for that warm introduction, even though I wrote it. Um, yeah. No, it was fantastic. I'm thrilled, I'm thrilled to be here tonight. Um, I'm thrilled to hear the other talks later on tonight as well. Um, I think that I'm especially thrilled because I'm sure that everybody else that's speaking tonight has made the wise choice to speak about a scientist slightly less well-known than my choice, Albert Einstein. Um, yes, what possessed me to try to speak to a crowd of scientists and science enthusiasts about um, the most famous scientist and one of the most famous people that has ever lived. Uh, the person who was named by Time magazine as the person of the century. Uh, I'm certainly no expert on Einstein. A dirty secret is that I'm one, well, I was one subject short from a dual major in physics in my undergraduate degree. Um, so I have what I would consider to be an advanced layperson understanding of the physics that Einstein discovered. So it probably comes as, a, as a, a good thing to most of you tonight that I won't be diving deep into the details of the quantum theory or general relativity. Uh, neither am I a scholar about Einstein's personal life. Uh, I've read one of his biographies and I've spent the last week desperately listening to another, uh, which if you're interested in the topic, I can highly recommend as a quality alternative to the next 10 minutes. But I was asked to speak tonight about one of my science heroes, and as naff as it sounds, Einstein is that. And I also realized, looking back at the history of this show, that no one else had ever tried to speak about Einstein. Uh, cowards, a lot of them. Um, so I thought, I might as well take a shot, so here goes nothing. First and foremost, uh, we must at least doff our caps to Einstein's intellectual and technical brilliance. Uh, it's easy to get lost in the tsunami of invention and innovation and discovery that's washed over the world in the past 200 years, but it's worth remembering that uh, Einstein's general theory of relativity is considered by many who know about these things to be the greatest achievement of any single human mind in history. So there. Um, Wow, I mean, that's really something. What makes it so incredible? Uh, I'm not going to be diving into the details, as I said, but I am going to share one result of relativity, which I like to share every chance I get in social situations, so I wouldn't pass up this opportunity. Uh, and that fact is that time travel is possible. I I'll say it again. Time travel is possible. Yes. Thank you. That is the, yeah, that's the reaction that it deserves. It's incredible to me that this fact, which was discovered by Einstein more than 100 years ago, uh, still isn't known to the entire world. It's uh, incredible. Time travel is possible. You can go as far forward in time as you like, according to our current tried and tested best understanding of physics. It's uh, simple enough to do. It's not complicated. In fact, we have sent objects into the future. I mean, that blows my mind. I think it's really fantastic. So the next time you're sitting around a table and there's an awkward silence, try filling it with the sentence, did you know that time travel is possible? <laughs> it always goes down well, I can promise you. It's so cool. Now you might be thinking, yeah, that kind of is cool, but it doesn't affect my day-to-day -day life. But to give Einstein his due, our day-to-day -day life would be unrecognizable without the physics that he discovered. One uh, example which I love is GPS. Uh, GPS wouldn't work without a solid understanding of time dilation because the clocks that are ticking away in the satellites which triangulate our position are running at a different rate to the ones on the ground. Um, of course, we wouldn't even have our telephones if we didn't have a solid understanding of the semi semiconductor technology which the quantum theory gives us, so perhaps it's a bit moot to say that GPS wouldn't exist. Uh, 
but enough, enough about his work in physics. Uh, let's quit the technical details and wonder, is it possible to understand the quality of Einstein without uh, looking at these technical details? And even more importantly, what can we learn from him as a person? Uh, it's easy to imagine Einstein as an absent-minded philosopher, uh, a physicist, his head always in the clouds. But that would be very wrong. He was deeply involved in the social and cultural milieu of the world around him. He uh, had strong convictions on politics, uh, social equality and justice, and he spent his life fighting for them. He used his public position to push those ideas. But he didn't only play on the big stage. He was intrinsically part of his local community as well, and he had many close friends within the circles he occupied. In among all of this, it's hard to know how to take any meaning from it all, but perhaps we shouldn't search so hard for meaning in the random sequences and collections of events which make up any one life. So let's forget for a moment about the broad sweeps of history, and let's not try to understand Einstein here tonight by the facts or by the numbers or by the dates. Instead, let's just look at some little details to try to get some feeling of the color of him and the texture, just an impression, just a shadow of what he may have been like. I need a disclaimer here. Inevitably, I'm going to interpret the facts that I know through my own lens, so please forgive me for the speculation which follows. Firstly, I'm fascinated by the fact that when he was 15 years old, he renounced his German citizenship out of protest for the way the country was going. He saw the tendencies towards militarization and he didn't approve. And he also didn't want to serve in the military. Fair enough, I mean, I can identify with those feelings, but to renounce your citizenship, isn't, I mean, isn't that a little bit drastic? Imagine if a friend of yours came up to you tomorrow and said, I've renounced my Australian citizenship out of protest, protest to the government. Uh, okay, uh, sorry, what? I mean, what next? What happens next? Uh, in Einstein's case, he was lucky enough to be able to get his high school diploma in Switzerland, and he eventually obtained Swiss citizenship five years later. That's lucky for us as well. But I wonder what would have happened if he'd been stateless for five years as he was today. And these aren't just the actions of a rebellious 15-year-old. We see again and again throughout his life that Einstein held in very little regard the standard path that society asked him to tread. Next, I'd like to wonder for a moment what it was like to have Einstein as a friend or as a family member. Surely the day-to-day -day quality of a person is best judged by their friends and loved ones. Here we find a mixed bag full of contradictions uh, which are hard to reconcile. Einstein was married twice and he was regularly unfaithful to both of his wives. Uh, the two sons from his first marriage he treated quite poorly and was often, he often spoke of them cruelly or heartlessly. But yet, at the same time, he had many lifelong friendships and was by most accounts, almost all accounts, a kind and gentle person. Certainly he wasn't heartless. He spoke, as I've said, for he fought for many good causes, world peace, nuclear disarmament, and civil rights. And I mean, he often stopped to speak to children on his walks. So maybe, and I'm speculating a lot here, you could imagine that while his, his intellectual intelligence was unparalleled, his emotional intelligence perhaps left something to be desired. If I had to paint a picture 
I would imagine that maybe he was often awkward. In a social situation, perhaps more comfortable talking about big ideas, be they scientific, social, political, or moral. And perhaps the little things, uh, the things that touched on his personal life, he struggled with more. Maybe that's why he found being a good husband and a good father greater challenges. There's one final picture I'd like to paint, which is just a little tidbit which I love. There's a second-hand story told by a passenger on a transatlantic cruise um, who tells of seeing Einstein playing his violin with a group of strangers. And I love to imagine that moment. Somewhere on the seas between Paris and New York, you can imagine an awkward but friendly 35-year-old with a group of strangers with a violin tucked under his chin. Perhaps late at night when there aren't so many distractions, just the sound of the creak of the ship and the movement of the water. Einstein always said that he found the most joy in his violin. And so you could imagine him with his eyes closed, deeply lost in the music, with no distraction, and enjoying the movements of a world that seems very far away from us now. For me, what stands out about Einstein was that he was deeply a part of his world. Whether in large circles or small, he always got involved and he never stepped back. He knew that difficult things took a long time and he worked in small steps towards larger goals. He didn't believe that scientists had the right to separate their work from their morals. He took the time to know people around him and to understand the broader issues of the world stage where he had the privilege of playing a part. And he enjoyed solitude. Like all of us, he was flawed. He made mistakes in love, in work, and in friendships. If you had the chance to sit down next to him, perhaps you would, well, you would certainly learn plenty, but perhaps you would also see where there were some gaps. And his treatment of his wives and his sons, there's much to be desired. So if I am to probably foolishly try to draw any conclusion from this hodgepodge of ideas and wildly apocryphal stories that I've told here tonight, then it would be the obvious, but in my opinion, still very worthwhile reminder that we're all better than the worst thing we've ever done, and we're all worse than the best. And that's true for all of us, even the person of the century. <laughs>